people that worked in the mines, like I can't even watch Snow White, the seven dwarves. I'm like, no, don't climb in that. You'll, you'll die. I know you're small, but it's, it's not. They're dwarves. Do you think that's because you're tall? Yeah, that too, probably. Huh. I don't want to, I just don't want to die in a small hole. the soul from a pastor who's on the roll. <laughs> well, hey everybody, and welcome to the debrief from your friends here at Sandals Church. What up? Uh, every week, Pastor Matt Brown gives us real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. And joining us again this week while Justin Party is out is our friend, Timothy Holly. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Yep. Welcome me. Here I am. <laughs> welcome welcome back. back. Welcome yes. me back. Holly yeah. back. We've welcomed Holly you back. Holly back, girl. You should. <laughs> Oh, there it is. We'll have a nickname segment someday, and I'll share with you some of the top ones I've heard over the years. Oh my gosh. So I met this worship pastor this week, and I kid you not, did I tell you this? No. So yeah, so our our college uh, pastor, um, Alfredo, uh, the secret sauce of sandals. That's what what his name is. Yeah, uh, introduced me, and I thought he introduced this guy as Kazoo. (laughs) I was like, your name is Kazoo? Like like, like the party tool? Yeah, yes. And he's like, no, that's not what I said. And I said, I'm sorry. From this day forth, yeah. your name and is Kazoo. Now, if it wasn't, and he's a worship leader and a music teacher, and I'm like, it's perfect. It is Kazoo. <laughs> so Do you have any idea what his actual name was? No. No. <laughs> so I had a. He seemed like a really nice guy. Well, that's good. Well, if you handle the kazoo thing, I well. think I'm going deaf though because I just make I just make up names. I think you decided on a name in your mind for him. And how just... could I have des- decided on kazoo? That's too awesome. Yeah, it must have sounded much like kazoo. I don't know what it sounded like. We're in Starbucks. My elementary school music teacher, this may have not been appropriate that she called me this, but I don't know because when you're young, you don't know things. So uh, Tim Holly is my name. So she would call me Hot Tamale. Whoa. Oh, that's sad. See, yeah. yeah. She's, I may, I she's probably, probably in prison. Little... Should I have reported yeah. that? <laughs> she's in prison. Hot Tamale. Today, today on Should I Have Reported That? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have told me that. I'm, yeah. I just felt like, we're, yeah. we're I like, I like to... Holly Batgirl better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, T-hology is another yeah. one. Uh, T-hology. Yeah. b Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're so smart. No, well, I'm trying to be varsity, trying yes. to follow in yeah. your footsteps. Yeah, we're just trying to all move up from JV this week. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. some right. of us are freshman team. Go ahead. That's, That's sad. <laughs> well, here on the D Reef, we're going to get into your questions in just a moment. But first off, I want to um, again thank all of you who have signed up to volunteer with our yes. team. You're about to see the D Reef team out in force starting this week, and we're going to do a big push Woo. to get more and more people subscribed to the show. So make sure your friends are subscribed to the show. We'll share this episode with your friends, and then we're going to have people out at every single campus helping people sign up to listen to the debrief. So look out for those folks. Go over and say hi. They are part of our whole debrief mm. family. It's like a small army at this it point. It is. We had so many people sign up and so many people are ready to serve so at every good. single location. I'm so pumped. So, so good. We got some sweet t-shirts. You'll see them out there. We debrief flags at every location. We're going to really grow our audience here and get more people listening to the show, more people sending in questions. I'm really excited to grow the show. Ooh. And uh, as we get started with that, this summer, we're going to do a lot of best of topics to help introduce new people to our show. So some of you have been sending in those topics. Keep them coming. We want to have lots of great, great topics. If you've heard Pastor Matt talk about something that you wish every single person could hear, remind us about it. Tell us about it. We want to make sure to get those on one of our best of episodes that are going to be coming out this summer. So with that, we're going to dive into some follow-up questions. Wait, did you say we're going to jive I in? Think she said I know, jive. I did. Oh, I was hoping you would have noticed. Jive we're going to jive on Boom. over. We got to play the BGs. What is jive the jive? Talk. Oh, the, is well, there jive. emotion? Well, there's the hand. I know the hand jive. I don't know the... I think jive was a way of talking in the 70s. Pro- oh, yeah. Jive yeah. talk sounds jive like a Jive talk. Oh. Yeah. We're yeah. going to jive. You said jive. All right. We're well, going to jive. Yeah, jive We're going to jive on over with some yeah. follow-up questions. We're going to jive in with Joseph. What did you mean to say? Uh, Dive, probably. I was well, about to say dive or jump, diving. and it became Jesus jive. diving, jiving. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jesus, I'm driving in. Whoa, that was the, oh, that's no, the remix of the Stephen Curtis there. Chapman jam, mm. uh, diving in for yeah. those views. You need to update your Christian uh, yeah. musical I literally, platform. That's all I got. All right. I only know Chris Tomlin songs. Okay. Uh, They're pretty good. Go ahead. Joseph writes in, on episode 63, you use the term gay Christian. How can you justify that term given that homosexuality is a lifestyle counter to a Christ following lifestyle? Gay Christian seems to imply a present homosexual identification and follower of Christ, which are very contradictory. Yeah, absolutely. So what was this guy's name? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use language that normal people can understand. And so I, I fully understand what you're saying uh, as a Christian, um, you know, that we shouldn't put any adjective in front of Christian. Our identity should be in Christ, right? We are neither male nor female. We are neither Greek nor Jew for we are all one in Christ. That's what Paul says in the letter of Galatians. There are not separate categories. However, that does not help gay people who are coming to our church who understand that God has a plan for them and their life and that their sexual orientation may not change, but the direction of their life can. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm gonna give oh, myself one of those because yeah. you guys missed it. That's really no, great. too late. You're still jiving over there. So <laughs> um, so that's what I'm trying to say. So, so, so for everyone listening and, and to all my wonderful critics who love Christ so mm. much, and I'm not saying that uh, Joseph is one of them, but part of the problem but not a part, but a big reason that Christianity is so ineffective is we speak to non-believers like Christians and we expect people who don't understand the Bible to understand the Bible and it is just moronic. What we need to do is use language that they understand and speak in a way that that, that, that they'll understand. And that's, that's what Sandals Church is trying to do. So why is Sandals Church so big? Because we're trying to allow people an easy on-ramp to get onto the highway of Christianity, right? Narrow is the road that leads to life and there are a few that find it. So what I wanna make sure that I do, that's Jesus, by the way, mm. what I wanna make sure is that I don't make the road any narrower. And that's what I think a lot of Christians do is they're trying to so narrow the road. And uh, again, you know, one of the core truths of Sandals Church is do not try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a log in your own. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanna make sure is, is that I am not creating something uh, that I myself cannot follow for, for maybe a gay person um, who can't follow. And so we just need to make sure that, first of all, that they know that God loves them. As a gay person, God loves them. Okay, homosexuality is not God's plan for their life to practice that. But the reality is um, most gay people would say, and I have many, many gay friends, that they did not choose this lifestyle, but it's something that they understood themselves to be either at an early age, middle age, or, or later in life. And so uh, you know, a, a non-Christian gay person would say, you know, God created me this way. I don't affirm that, but what I don't want to argue is, is God's role in the process. I want to emphasize God's call in the process. And so God's call is, is that if you are gay and that is your identity. And so sometimes at Sandals, we use the term same sex attraction, which I think sometimes is more confusing than the word gay. Cause I think everybody knows culturally what the word gay means. I, I think we all understand that it's a great place to move forward. So can you be gay? That is same sex attracted and follow Jesus. Absolutely. In following Jesus as a gay person, as a gay Christian, it means you abstain from sexual contact, um, outside of the context of heterosexual monogamous marriage. So you can be gay and enter into a heterosexual monogamous marriage. Many of my gay friends do live in that and have healthy, thriving, amazing marriages where they work that out and they communicate with each other. So that's all I'm trying to say is I'm trying to use language that people understand. 
um, so that we don't lose people. But I understand that, um, and you know, this is why the Catholic Church fires immediately a priest who says they are a gay priest because they're saying exactly what Joseph is saying. Mm. You cannot put that, an adjective in front of the word priest because your identity is in God. And so I understand that from their perspective because they're talking to clergy. They're talking to professional Christians, so to speak, who understand the theological ramifications of what they're saying. So when a gay priest comes out and says, I'm gay and that's okay, they, they fire them and oftentimes mm. defrock them, which is a whole nother process where literally they remove the, the anointing, so to speak, of of oh, uh, wow. the priesthood on the person. It's a really, really intense. Uh, yeah, intense process. Um, and the Catholic Church is, is working through that right now. I mean, with like, they have, they have a lot of challenges amongst their clergy, as do everybody. everybody. Uh, we just don't hear about it uh, in the news as much in the Protestant circles because Protestants aren't one. <laughs> so we're, we're, all, we're all divided, we're all scattered. And so um, we all kind of deal with that. So Joseph, I hope that helps. I agree with you theologically. I would challenge you practically. I don't think that it's helpful to draw those lines because it doesn't help create bridges, it actually burns them. And so, um, you know, just like I'm straight, okay, I don't define myself as a straight Christian, I am, but as a straight Christian, I can both sin as a straight Christian and I can not sin in my sexuality as a straight Christian. And mm. the same is true for a gay person. And so I think some of the abuse from the church in the past is trying to change uh, the person's sexual orientation when what we need to change is their sexual direction. And um, that, that, that's, that's where I differ. Um, we don't want to change your attraction. We want to minimize the power of your attraction. Mm -hmm. So what are you drawn to? We want gay people as straight people to be drawn to God. We mm -hmm. want that to be the primary focus uh, in their life. And um, like, for example, I was listening to talk radio this morning on the way, and they were talking about a committed Catholic woman and they were mocking her because she was having an affair for seven years with Newt Gingrich, who was a married man, mm -hmm. and how devout she was. And it's like, no, that, that's not devotion. Devotion to God is saying no to self and yes to Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What she was doing is she was saying, thank you. She was saying yes to herself. She was devoted to herself, mm -hmm. not to Jesus. And so we throw that word around, devoted, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and we just use it inappropriately. So, so even in that sense, you have a person who's straight, who calls themselves a devoted follower, but is not devoted because they're devoted to their own needs, their own desires, their own wants, mm. their own sexual impulses. And so we need to be devoted to Christ. You know, Christ was devoted to us. He was sexually celibate. He was devoted to us. Paul, the apostle Paul, we're in this letter in Philippians. He's devoted to us. He said no to a wife, no to kids, no to a family. And as we get into Philippians, right, he calls us brothers and sisters. He loves us. He prays for us with joy. He's excited about us. He can't wait to see. I mean, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, example of the kind of community we can have if we trust God to provide for our needs. Um, and, and and that's important. So yeah, long answer. Mm. Oh, that's great though. All right. Hey, Sue sent in a question and says, my wife and I are recently married and we're trying to learn how we can serve the church together as a couple. You've been talking a lot about serving the church and why that's so important over the last couple of weeks. And he says, we've heard many, mixed advice about whether or not to serve together as a couple in one area or serve separately in what we're gifted in. We both like to serve, but it's hard for us to agree on one area because our giftings are different. Should we find a team to serve together or find our own teams and simply support one another? Yeah. So I think the key there is he said our giftings are different. I would say find your own area of service and support one another in that. So I think if it's possible to serve together, that's great. But if you have different passions or you're drawn to different areas, do that. And I think that that's really, really great. So the challenge is in serving in different areas is it may make your calendar more complex. Mm. And so one of the reasons people don't serve is they say we don't have enough time. And so that, that's where I would say, 
if time is the issue, um, then what I would do is I would compromise on the area of gifting so that you can promote time together in your marriage. But if you have the time and it doesn't conflict with, you know, uh, your relationship and your marriage, then, then serve in different areas. Um, but just understand that you can't come back later and say, okay, God, we can't, we can't do this because we've chosen our gifting over, you know, our serving and, and, and it doesn't work out. And so you can't have it both ways. So, so talk to each other and say, what's more important, you know, our, our time schedule right now, or our, our, our calling to serve God in, in accordance with our gifting or our desires and what we want. And so I think you've already answered your question there. And I would choose different ministries as long as, you know, those ministries don't really, really conflict with each other because some ministries do, um, you know, uh, tech team, their hours are very, very different. And when they have to be here, mm. uh, you know, worship team, th those hours are very, very different. Uh, you know, small group is different from, you know, children's ministry or parking, you know, uh, the, the beauty of serving on a weekend event is many things are happening at once. Mm -hmm. So if you're um, if you're serving on midweek, that makes things a little more challenging. If one's serving on the weekend and one's serving on midweek, I think that would be a challenge. So maybe that's what I would say. Choose to serve uh, during the week or choose to serve on a weekend together. Mm -hmm. And uh, that way that you guys aren't apart from each other because the church doesn't exist to separate families. Yeah. So I would encourage you to try to do that together. Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunities at Sandals Church to do kind of complimentary serving opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, you can serve during a service time that both of you would need to be there, one on production, one on the worship team, for example, yeah. singing. So those are overlapping or serving in the depot while someone's serving on you know guest service. There's there's times that they kind of overlap that would make sense. So. Yeah, and let me just say to everybody who um, is serving God, that's who we are. You know, we worship a servant, so we serve because we worship a servant. Um, I, w I work at LA Fitness and uh, I went into LA Fitness and the front gal at the front desk said, she said, Pastor Matt, um, I served in three-year-olds this week. And I was like, ooh. I said, how'd you like it? She said, I loved it. That's wow. Cool. She said, I loved it. And I, I just thought that's just so awesome, you know? Um, and I see this girl, you know, three, four times a week mm -hmm. uh, because she's there early in the mornings when I'm there. I think she actually goes to work at like 3.30 in the morning. It's crazy. Yeah. But I see her, I'm not there at 3.30. Nope. I'm sleeping, praying to Jesus at 3.30. Exactly. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. So, but when I, I get there about 7, 7.15 in the morning and um, uh, she was there, but she just said it was awesome. And I just that's think so that's cool. so cool. Here's a gal on her day off um, and she works six days a week. So... Um, she was serving us pretty cool. And I just appreciate everybody who serves Jesus by serving his church. Mm, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, this is another follow-up question uh, on the topic of confession. So Tim writes and he says, on the topic of confession, I have a history of sexual sin against many different girls in my past. I got married just a few months ago. And my wife knows about my struggle with porn and my past with other girls. Do I need to apologize to all of the girls I've sinned with and led into sin? There's one in particular who I know I hurt deeply and she still hung up on me even years later. Mm. I feel awful and I've asked for forgiveness from Jesus, but I'm worried reaching out to apologize to her will reopen the relationship and I don't wanna put my wife through that. What is the best way to heal from that? Yeah, so man, that's a really, really complex mm. question. So yeah. the first thing I would do is I would get in community group with some guys who know you, love you, and who can judge your motives. I, I can't discern those things from your question on the debrief. So bring community into it. You know, um, so I think that there's three questions Mark Driscoll challenged us a couple months ago. You know, is this decision foolish? Is this decision wise? Is this is there evil in my heart? And so ask those, work through those three things. So is there any desire in your heart to reconnect with this gal in any way except for repentance? And if and if there is, even if it's one or two percent, don't do it. Mm. Don't go there. The Bible says, run from sexual immorality. Run from anything that stimulates useful lust. And you want to make sure that your present wife, current wife, I think it's his only wife. I don't know. 
um, you know, feels confident and stable in the relationship. And I, I just think sometimes, man, you know, those things are so messed up. So here's what I would say might be the wise thing. You know, if you have a mutual friend, if there's somebody that you know, reach out to that mutual friend and just say, hey, um, I would like you to, on behalf of me, just to apologize for what I did. What I did was wrong and I'm really, really sorry. I'm a Christian now and it breaks my heart that I did this, that I wounded her. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm just gonna ask for forgiveness. And, um, but don't, I do not seek reconciliation. That is not appropriate. Mm. Um, I just think you just you just apologize. And I, I don't even know that you need to ask her for forgiveness because that invokes a response. Mm. I think what you need to say is, I'm really sorry. So then whether she yeah. forgives you or not is up to her. All God mandates you to do is to say you're sorry. Say, I got, I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know that you can go and make it right. And mm-hmm. so you have to be really, really careful with that situation. Um, like I said, I had to do a lot of apologizing when I gave my life to Jesus. And uh, mm-hmm. I did reach out to one girl in particular on Facebook years ago. My wife read the letter, but I gotta be honest, she, T- Tammy wasn't super comfortable with me doing it. Yeah. I, I felt like I had to do it because I felt like I was gonna stand before God on judgment day and be held accountable for what I did. So I was like, look, I need, and and we've never contacted each other since. So, mm. um, you know, and, and I felt like that was okay, but you know, I just needed to, to do that. So um, I think a third party is great. Reach out through a third party that you, that you both know and just say, hey, on my behalf. And it'd be great if you could find a third party that's a Christian and they could say, hey man, you know, so-and-so, he's got his life right with God and he's really, really sorry for what he did specifically. And um, he knows what he did hurt you and it was wrong and he's sorry. So, and then move on. So, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil next week's message, but we're going to talk similar yeah. to some of this stuff. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's a good sensitivity to have. Would this apology or this me reaching out to ask for, would that be injuring to the person? Yeah. You know, would that be, uh, would yeah. that actually, you know, make the situation worse? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you, ha- you, you can't just think about your need to apologize. You have to think about the victim that's been wounded. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you, you have to you have to measure that you know like for example um, a couple of years ago we had a, a person in our church who had molested somebody when that person was a child and they were like well I want to go back and say I'm sorry and I said no no you don't you just don't need to do that um, you, they don't need you in their life mm-hmm. um, you know at some point if it's appropriate you know a third party could say yeah they're sorry for what they did but you know you are you are a uh, a monster in their life and um and ultimately what's sad is the victim left sandals. So, because they just couldn't attend church with this person that had done something to them as a child. It was just, it was really, really um, disruptive to their life, their marriage, their emotions. And uh, um, it was, it was really, really bad. So, mm-hmm. but, but I blocked that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and that person wasn't, um, they, they didn't listen to me. So I'd ask them to leave the church, not the victim, but the, the, wow. uh, the perpetrator of yeah. uh, the molestation. So, um, and that's my job as the pastor is to protect people who've been wounded and, and been hurt. And so, um, you know, and I'm not in any way putting that on the person. I don't know the story or what, what took place or what happened. Sure. I'm assuming it was a consensual adult relationship. What I'm talking about was not. So sometimes, you know, um, in our attempt to self-heal, mm-hmm. right, we can make things worse. And so that's why First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, that's to God, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it says, we confess our sins one to another. So there are circumstances, you know, where we don't have to go back to the victim. I wouldn't design, 
I wouldn't decide that for myself. I would bring community in and mm-hmm. really flesh out all angles of it. And this is why you need wise spiritual community around you. Because if you're hanging around with immature Christians, if you're hanging around with non-Christians, you're gonna get some really, really bad advice and potentially screw up your life. So oh, that's, that's huge. Good. Yeah, it's really good. All right, our last follow-up question comes from Kenny. And last week on the show, we talked about whether it's okay for Christians to use drugs and alcohol. And Kenny asks, what about substances like caffeine and nicotine? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so historically, the church in America has been divided on, let me start with nicotine first. So, um, you know, uh, I grew up Southern Baptist and uh, Southern Baptists, right? Don't drink, don't dance, are allergic to fun. Um, You know, um, (laughs) but... Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of challenges, but but a lot of Southern Baptists would smoke. And the reason for that is mm. a lot of your tobacco fields, Tobacco Road is in North Carolina, South Carolina and those areas. And, you know, a lot of your tithe money is coming from cigarettes. And so I think that, you know, the, the more we've discovered about smoking, it is destructive. Um, but, you know, you know, I think it's bad. I, if you smoke, I, I would strongly encourage you to stop smoking because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and smoking damages your body and mm. ruins your body. And uh, I, I can just tell you, uh, my my kid's grandfather, my wife's dad died of lung cancer. He was a smoker, started smoking as a young mm. man and he died at 50, I 55 or 57. I can't remember what age exactly he died. And we haven't had him in our life for 15 years. And I know he would love to be here. So, so you know, I, I think that... Um, smoking uh, is one of those things, you know, it's just like obesity. We got to love people as they struggle through, you know, that issue. Mm. Um, so a lot of people are addicted to food and, uh, we got to love them and not, you know, shame them or, or guilt them and just come alongside them, but say, Hey man, I'm here. You know, if you, if you want to quit, I'm going to, I'm going to be supportive of you in this process, but I'm going to love you. You know, I don't love people at our church any less because they smoke. I wish they wouldn't. Um, but I wish everybody would work out too and exercise and eat right. And, you know, whatever, you know, we all, we all have, um, you know, different strengths and different weaknesses. So I, I certainly think that, you know, you shouldn't smoke, but you know, because it's destructive to your body and for, for medical reasons, but I understand, um, many, many people do. And many Christians do. I remember when I was first gave my life to Christ, I worked at a group home and I took all the boys in my group home to church on a Sunday and the pastor was greeting our hands, smoking a cigarette. I just, you know, it just tripped me out because, you know, um, Smoking for me was something that took place when sin was happening. You know, there was mm-hmm. never, it was, and he, I don't think he was sinning at that point, but it was just bizarre to watch him smoke as we went into the church. And yeah. so he was addicted. What was the other question? Caffeine? Ca- caffeine. Yeah. Go easy on this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, caffeine, caffeine is the Christian drug of choice. Yes. Um, I, yes, I partake Lord. in this drug. Mm. Um, I did not dr- uh, drink ca- caffeine until I turned 40, um, but uh, <laughs> the aging process was victorious. Yes. And so I started easy. partaking of. Christian crack known as caffeine. Mm. So here's the thing is, you know, caffeine, um, I think is, is, is a wonderful benefit, just like wine, right? The Bible says that wine uh, is a gift from God for us, but drunkenness is a sin. So the same thing with caffeine, right? Caffeine is a gift from God. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's a stimulant, um, just as a, I believe mustard is, um, maybe pepper is, you know, because there's Seventh-day Adventists that won't partake of any of those things. And Mormons used to not drink soda or use mustard. So any kind of stimulant, they were mm. rejected. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 an appropriate one. So here, here's the thing about caffeine and, and here's why it's different from maybe, you know, copious amounts of caffeine doesn't lead to stupidity. It can make you irritable, excitable, but it's not going to, you know, you know, I don't know. It doesn't have the same effects as yeah. copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah, it doesn't dull your senses. But having anything. said that, on the news this week, there's a teenager who did die 
Uh, yeah. It's on the news this week. He did die because he drank too much caffeine. So we need to understand that it can affect our heart in a negative manner. And um, we, we, we've got to regulate that. And I know that I've drank uh, too much caffeine and I can feel it in my heart, mm-hmm. feel in my pulse and hey, back off. You know, you need to um, stop drinking that amount. And, and we all need to watch that, especially young people, our college students. Um, you know, you're drinking way too much. Your, your, your generation is drinking way, way too much. And you just got to really, really regulate that. And, uh, you know, um, I love my dad. My dad says, I don't need to drink water because I've had five cups of coffee. That's not the same. So <laughs> there's water and coffee. Yeah. Right? So, uh, but actually coffee makes you pee, which means you lose, mm-hmm. right? You're losing liquid. So you need to drink water. So, you know, g- grab a water bottle <laughs> you know? and five cups of coffee. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So, you know, we serve coffee at the church. Um, mm. I think a lot of our worshipers need a few cups before man. they come to church. It drives Hallelujah. me crazy, especially the 815 crowd and the Saturday night crowd, man. Get a cup. You know, get a jolt. On the Mountain Dew. <laughs> we had to, we had to throw oh, Mountain Dew out to the audience on no. Saturday. Do you remember Surge? The, no. the, 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 the soda. I didn't get it. It was just, bit. I think, a can of caffeine, like pure, yeah. just unadulterated <laughs> caffeine. That's all it yeah. was. The name itself, Surge. Yeah, yeah. that does like, sound. So the last time I had something like that, I drank Red Bull. Um, <laughs> In my Iron Man. Did it give you wings? No, I threw up. Literally, I, so, I, oh, I puked so bad at the end of the Iron Man. And I, 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 have not had, I have not had a Red Bull since. So that was two years ago. Yeah, that would do it for me. I, dude, oh, no more man. Oh, I was so sick. So sick. You don't like to throw up. No, and I don't like the smell of Red Bull. I, oh, oh my gosh, it made me so sick. So anyways, great, great, great question. Um, you know, we, we need to be able to talk about this because some of the reasons that we have anxiety, we can't sleep we're irritable, we're not nice, we're not kind, is because we have an addiction to caffeine, which, mm. right, we can become addicted to anything. Yeah. I think I think as Americans, we literally swim from one pool of addiction to the next. Like, you know, it's like if you go to an AA meeting, right? They're all, they're all like slamming coffee and smoking cigarettes, talking about how they're free from addiction. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you guys are free. Now, cigarettes and caffeine are less destructive than heroin and crack, amen, amen. right? So that's good, but... Uh, but maybe let's, it's just funny to me when you go to these right. addiction places. I mean, it's coffee and cigarettes, man. It's like, Something's wow. underneath that that's yeah. still driving toward those, you know. Yeah, and if you have an addictive personality, um, you just you just have to be really, really aware yeah. and know that. And some of you have an addictive personality to everything and you'll stop being addicted to one thing and switch to another. And, you know, Paul says, I will not be a slave to anything. Nothing will master me mm. except Christ. And so we have to watch that and we have to be very, very careful of that. And so we live in a society of addicts. We just do. We're addicted to television. We're addicted to Netflix, right? We're addicted to all kinds of things. And it's just like, man, get out and live. Yeah. Enjoy your life. So, um, and have some coffee, but stop, you know? <laughs> all right. We're going to jump into our off top topics question. Oh, goodness. You're we're going good. to jump into our off topic section today. We've got two quick off topics questions before we get into debriefing your sermon and uh, the launch of Philippians this weekend. So, Tim, you want to take it away? Yeah, the first one is uh, from Jonathan. Do we have one from Jonathan already? Uh, we got we, two Jonathans. Yeah, we got a lot of Jonathans. Or this is, our, this is our favorite Jonathan mm-hmm. of the show so far. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, we had a Joseph. Ah, uh, Joseph and yeah. Jonathan. All right. Jonathan writes, hi, everyone at the debrief. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Thanks for that greeting. <laughs> uh, I love the show and I look forward to listening to it every week when I drive home from work. My question is from Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus makes the statement, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And then it says, he didn't do many works there because of their unbelief, that being Jesus. As a believer, is there a certain level of belief or faith that we need to have or should have when we pray? 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly understanding the correlation between his Bible verse and his question. So the Bible verse, Jesus says a prophet is without honor in his own hometown and his own country. And so I think what Jesus is saying there is um is that w- when when you're closer to somebody, you have a hard time following them. Mm. And I think that's the reality. Yeah. Um you know, um I I get asked to speak, you know, all over the world um you know, I, I get invited to to speak places, but my own alma mater, Cal Baptist, it's like never. Hmm. I mean, you know, um, literally, I, I've never spoken at a uh, Christian studies class. I mean, hmm. ever. And that's just because I, I think there's something special about far away. And, and so, um, you know, people grew up with Jesus, knew Jesus personally, and it's like, wait a minute. And so, you know- You're skeptical. I, yeah, you're skeptical of that. Yeah. And I, I just think that that's part of it. And- um, you know, I think it would have been easier for me to plant a church further away from from my college. Absolutely, yeah. and I and I, you know, if I could go back, I I would have considered that. But obviously, God had me here and wanted me here. So that's what I think. Think He's saying there. So the second part of His question was what? Is there a certain level of faith or belief that we need to have when we pray? Like, if these people were doubting that Jesus could do these things, and if we have that level of doubt, it, does that mess with God's yeah, response sure. of okay, this? Yes. yes and no. It's both and, okay? Yes, you, you need to have faith when you pray. I mean, Jesus repeatedly calls us to that. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in everything that he does. So we we need to have faith that God can and will answer our prayers. So so we need to trust that. And um, But but here's the bottom line is our, our miracles are not dependent upon our faith. So yeah, Jesus says that he doesn't do any faith in his own hometown because they didn't believe. But for example, the sermon that Claude preached a couple weeks ago, the miracle takes place and has nothing to do with the with the faith of uh, the individual who's sick, but it's the faith of his friend. So he has no faith. Mm. So, um, you know, God can act in spite of our faith. In that instance, he did not act. He, he just did not act because of their unbelief because they were rejecting him. Mm. They were not interested in him being Lord. They were not interested in him being Messiah. So I think we need to trust and believe wholeheartedly that God can and do anything. Um, God can do the impossible because Jesus, or the Bible says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. So God God can do anything. And so we need to trust that. We need to believe that. And so here's where I think the tension lies. I need to pray with faith, but I don't know what's gonna happen. Hmm. So I, I don't know what God's gonna do. I know what God can do. And I think that is the tension. I know God can fix this situation. I don't know if God will. And so I come to the God who can, and I ask him if he will, mm. will you, mm. right? And that's and that's the tension. And so uh, the problem is, um, you know, a lot of churches, they they forget just that he can and they assume that he will. And so we gotta be really, really careful with that. And mm. so I, I think it's important to believe, but at the same time, I don't know, I don't know what God's gonna do. I've prayed for healing and I've seen people healed and I've prayed for healing and I've seen people die. Yeah. So, and oh, speaking sorry. of that, I think I had too much caffeine today. <laughs> you little right twitchy? Yeah, I'm a little feeling a little Red Bull-ish yes. right now. Are we gonna? <laughs> no, are you I'm okay? Not yeah, okay. Let's keep going. All right. This next off-topic question comes in from Savannah, and she says she actually started listening to the debrief after you spoke this semester at CBU. So you yeah, did go. Yeah, yeah. You went there once this year. Yes. Um, and they do it, have me at chapel. They yeah. do. They usually yeah, ask you to come talk about sex, and then you come yeah, back next year to yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, well, she said it was a great message, by the way. Thank you, Savannah. Uh, she says she's been listening to the show ever since. She says we're all so great in bringing clarity and understanding some of the most confusing passages of the Bible. Oh, so, thank you, Savannah. Savannah. Yes, she's my new favorite CB student. See, there you other go. than my daughters. Oh, obviously. good call. Good call. 
She says, this semester, I've been struggling a lot with solidifying what I believe about myself and about God. Like Justin, I listen to the Bible on audiobook in the mornings, but having grown up in the church my whole life, it's difficult to go beyond, oh, I've heard this story before, to how can I apply this to my life now? For this summer, I really want to focus on how to grow in Christ and reflect Him more through being real with myself, with God, and with others, but I'm not really sure where to start. Do you have any suggestions to grow in my faith as far as books go? Mm. Yeah, and so I don't know if she means books of the Bible or books as in out of the Bible. So I say let's go with one of each. Okay, yeah. so um, to me, a great, great book to start with is Spirit of Disciplines. So mm-hmm. it's a great book to grow deeper, uh, grow deeper in par- prayer, um, uh, studying the Bible, meditating. Um, so Spiritual Disciplines is a great, great way to, to grow. Yeah. So I, I think that's the thing that's helped me the most is my Bible time every single day. And so one of the things that I ask, you know, um, myself, so, we, you know, we do the real Bible study method. So read the passage extract the main point, apply it to your life, and then live it out in community. Mm. So so I think those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. So I'm going to read the text or listen to the text if you're not a reader, and then I'm going to extract. So what what is, what is God trying to say here? What is the all-time principle? Not just for my life, because if you don't start with the all-time principle, what you get for your life could be off, and then you apply it to your life. Mm. And then you say, okay, how do I live this out in community? What does this look like in relationships with self, God, and others? And I think that's great. So I think Spirit of the Disciplines is a great book to read. I think a great text for the summer would be James, or how about this, Philippians. Hey. You know, Philippians is a great, great book on how to have joy um, and how to uh, love God and feel the love of God, even maybe when you're in prison. And that's where Paul's writing from. So I think it's a fantastic book. Um, you know, and so the other thing is, and we don't talk about this a lot, but uh, our spiritual director, at church, uh, his name is Pastor Dan Crowley. He's phenomenal, and I was so bummed this week because my sermon took up so much space. His notes actually for self reflection mm-hmm. um, didn't make the outline, so yeah, it they is. They are in the app, though. Yeah, we it's were able a, to on your there. phone app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's only for our iPhone users. So, oh. yeah, so sad. But um, I would encourage you guys to start doing that for yourself. I mean, it was dude. This week's self um, uh, what reflection. Was it? Self reflection guide was phenomenal. And so here was the question. What are three desires that God would have me pursue in order to experience joy? I was like, whoa, why didn't I think of that? Hmm. Um, it was just phenomenal. So I would encourage you guys, that's the self portion. So in everything we do at Sandals Church, right? We want you to be real with yourself. And so that's just all about you. What are three desires that you could pursue that are godly that would bring you joy? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, why didn't why didn't I think about that? And I, and I wish I would have come up with that, but I didn't. So then, uh, you know, and then how will that affect your relationship with, you know, each other and then ultimately God? So what are three God-honoring desires that you could pursue that's going to make you a happier person? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. So great question, Savannah. Yeah. And, um, you know, check out those books. Um, uh, there's another book um, called The Gift of Being Yourself by David, I think it's Brenner, David Brenner. Right fantastic now. book. Um, it's really, really short. It's called The Gift of Being Yourself. Fantastic book. I think it's only like 85 pages. Yeah, it looks, it's pretty little. Yeah, shorter books are better. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, and if you're driving your car right now and like wishing you could like stop and write this down, we're gonna have all of those things mm. that you just listed in the show notes for this episode. So once you're done listening, go to debrief.show slash 65. We'll have all those books that you mentioned. We'll write down our real study method in there. So if you've been wondering how to yeah. study the Bible and those four steps that Pastor Matt talked about, we'll have that written down in there. We'll also include the personal reflection guide from this weekend's sermon so that folks who don't have an iPhone and the Sandals Church app can check that out. So our show notes this week are going to be full of really great resources from awesome. that one question alone. Hey. So be sure to check out Debrief Shots show slash 65. You can find it right there. 
we'll make sure that's all on there for you because that was really great. And if you're driving right now, you're probably stressing out thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to remember all that. Be safe on the roads. Yeah, be safe. We got you covered when you get to a safe place where you can stop your car and look at your phone or your computer. 12 and 2, please. It'll be there for you. Hands on the wheel. Both hands. 12 and 2, that's a... I don't know. I was was a tall guy, so I feel like I had to, I don't know, closer. (laughs) You were a tall guy? I am. I am a tall guy. You've just been getting progressively taller, I think. I think that's a great, uh, the reflection piece is really good for, you know, someone like Savannah or others who are really wanting to deepen their relationship with Jesus over the summer to really pause. Everything's so fast. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the end of the summer and it's gone. Mm -hmm. And you had all these great plans and I had all these things I want to do. Just slowing down and beginning to, you know, spend time asking God those questions like you mentioned. Yeah, It's a great way to go back into the sermon too, because I know as soon as I leave church, you could ask me what the sermon was about. And I'm usually like, ah. Mm, you know. just got fired. Okay. She, she listens so <laughs> but well. The personal reflection guide, things like the debrief. It reminds you. Help remind yeah. me. And then talk yeah. about it in my small group. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Speaking of your sermon, let's get into debriefing that now. We've got yes. a, some really great questions that have come in about that. Yeah. Tim, you take you away. You said this week in your message um, that much of our misery comes from wanting more. And you quoted 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So uh, Justin, pardee, our Justin, yeah, the, Justin. The, the bearded wonder, yes. uh, wrote in and said, how do I balance a desire to provide and care for my family well without craving money and wandering from the true faith like 1 Timothy 6.10 warns against? Yeah, so I think it's, I think there's a tension, and and we just have to understand that as Americans, um, we are always going to be bent towards the sin aspect of wanting more money. So I I, I want more things, um, uh, I want to uh, be more successful, you know. And so you have to evaluate, you have to self evaluate. So what is motivating you to do that? Sometimes you need more money, you know. If your kid needs braces, or um, you know your kid needs you know dental work done or something, you've got to work so that you can provide for that and you'd have honest, open conversations uh, with your spouse. But you know, one of the things that leads to divorce many times is you have one spouse that's working very, very hard um, to provide and the other spouse is left at home. And then all of a sudden there's this huge gap because they're never together. You know, they're, ne- they're not growing in intimacy and in relationship together because they're working so hard to make money or have things. And and I just think we need to, you know, understand that we can have less. And so, you know, get a smaller house, move into a smaller place, shoot rent if you have to. There's nothing wrong with those things. Um, you know, this whole idea that, you know, the American dream buying a house, that's an American phenomenon. You know, the, the second uh, best economy in the world is Germany and they have 20% home ownership. Wow. It's just not a part of their culture, right? They just, it just, it's not something that they think they have to have. You know, yeah. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm wasting money. Well, you do that when you buy a house too. So, because it's called interest, right? You're, you're throwing that away. So, um, you know, so you just do what, do what you can do and do what's best for your family. So again, Justin, uh, you know this, get in community, have people process this and pray through this because a raise, more money, more influence, a better position, those things are not always better things. Mm. Um, and many people craving money, right? Have pierced themselves with many sorrows. And so, you know, the next big deal is not always the next best thing. And sometimes it's the worst thing. And so I think that uh, we need to we need to really, really work on um, fleshing out our motives in this and talking about, you know, what are, what are some expectations that a spouse has? Because sometimes a spouse can have unrealistic expectations. And again, according to this week's message, right? Facebook and Instagram is feeding into that because I'm seeing what all my friends have. And just know this, I'm just gonna say this flat out. People at our church who make the most money give the least. It's true. It is so disgustingly sad. It's the truth. Mm. People who make the most money at Sandals Church give the least. And why is that? Because many of them are chasing things. They're not giving sacrificially 
to the church. It's your middle income, your middle-class people that are bankrolling the church. Our wealthy people don't give. And because they're spending money on a huge house, they're spending money on a, on, on a super fancy car, they're spending money on uh, you know incredible vacations, and they're doing all of those things. And guess what? They're not they're not mm-hmm. you know dropping in the blue bucket, which I want to name Philip, and no one wants to name the blue <laughs> bucket. Philip, get it? Philip the blue bucket. Yeah, get it? Well, I think it's funny. Philip, it, it's I'm, funny. Okay, so I know <laughs> nobody likes it. Here on the debrief, no, nobody likes it. You know, but <laughs> I like it. So just just know that, man. Um, you know, when, pe- when people are into nice things, they're, they're usually not into God. Th- those two things mm. are counter. Wow. And, and people, people don't want to say that. And so you say, well, there's pastors on TV. And, yep, and they're not into God. They're into super. Not, and I'm not saying you can't have nice things. Um, you know, I have a nice house. I drive nice cars. I'm just saying when that is the statement of your life, um, you know, my wife and I's prayer is not how, how can we own more stuff. Our prayer is how can we give more to the kingdom of God? Like right now, I've got, you know, Tammy and I, we already tithe to the church. We already give. We have two kids in college. We support five missionaries. We have some other friends that are getting ready to go to India. And our question is, how can we support them? What is it that we can adjust about our livelihood mm-hmm. so that we can give more to God? And uh, so one of the things that I showed my wife, um, I showed her our budget. I do, I do the finances. I showed her how much less our bills are this year than last year. I completely readjusted our life so that we created more margin more space. So we don't have more this year. We actually have less. And, and it worked out, you know, but that meant we got rid of an RV. We got rid of some things, you know, we, we changed some things. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're just into that. So we don't have debt. The only payment that we have is our house payment. That's it. We don't have car payments. We don't have those things. We're constantly trying to move our debt around so that we can do ministry. And so just know this, a lot of your friends who are doing all these things and they're going to Vegas and they're staying at the Bellagio, they're at the beach, they're at the boat. They're, they're not helping the church. They're not building the kingdom, okay? They're enjoying their life. And again, part of the reason we're so miserable is we all wanna believe that that makes you happy and it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, you know, um, we, we, we've, we've gotta understand that. So Justin, I think it's a great question. I would love to talk to you about that when you get back from your sabbatical. Mm. Um, but th- these are the things that we need to have to process. And um just know that our ambition and our desire for more things can bring more pain and more suffering. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, I, I've been watching the Hilton kids in the news and th- their son is nuts. Mm. Like he's nuts, man. Like he screams on an airplane in first class that everyone are peasants. I'm like, okay, that lifestyle is not good for you. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is just a disaster. And, um, you know, providing a better life for our kids often means that we give them a worse life. And so, you know, I think the struggle, the struggle, right? Jesus says, blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. So being impoverished, and I'm not saying that we, we need to, you know, praise that, but being poor makes you dependent upon God. When you're wealthy, you don't need God. You trust in your own money. Mm-hmm. And that creates problems and it takes your eye off the ball and you look in other directions and you look for other things. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Wealthy people have more struggles. And by the way, they're going to be held accountable for more. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that in Luke 18, the, the guy that's in hell is a rich dude. It's a story of a rich man and Lazarus. And again, God doesn't hate rich people. It's what do you do with that wealth? And that's why like, I'm so proud of like Hobby Lobby. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they pour immense amount of money into the kingdom. Mm. They just spent a billion dollars on the Bible Museum in D.C. 
Wow. Like that's what they're doing with their profits because they've said Hobby Lobby is God's company. And that's what you need to do, you know. That's amazing. Um, you know, my, my kids, it's weird. I don't know why they ask me, but my kids keep asking me if, if I'm rich. Like this, this is something that keeps coming up. Are you rich, dad? Are you rich, dad? And I think that's because some pastors with a big a church as me, they are rich. And so this is what I tell them. I say, I am rich in influence and power. I'm not rich in money because I use the resources that I acquire for the glory of God. So yeah, I oversee a company called Sandals Church that is a multi-million dollar company. There's no question about that. But I use those resources for God's glory and his kingdom. And we're trying to figure out how to expand. I would much rather build another church than buy another house. I would much rather see the money go towards that, expanding another campus than expanding my own kingdom. Because at the end, the Bible says, everything I own burns. Everything God owns lives forever. Amen. So I'm going to invest in that. And so it's just funny to me. My kids are, you know, struggling with that. And yeah, I've worked hard for 20 years. We've sacrificed. God's blessed us. He's taken care of us, but no, I'm not rich. So, you know, and you both know my money. So we, <laughs> so, we do. yeah, I'm well paid, but I am not rich, but it's yeah. just funny. My kids, you know, and I think it again, because our society glorifies that lifestyle so much that we think that that's success. And mm-hmm. I don't think success is building my kingdom. I think it's building God's. So. Oh yeah, we just Whoa. For the bell double there, tap. <laughs> yeah, she got me. All right, great question, Justin Party. We can't wait to have you back. Can't yeah, wait. Miss you. All right. In your message this weekend, you also mentioned First John three twenty when talking about not relying on our emotions for our happiness. The verse says, "Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything." Matt sent in a question and asked, I've always been under the impression that God does not give us guilt, but that guilt comes from the enemy. A recent Bible study I picked up stated that God does in fact give us guilt. Is this true? And how do we know what is guilt and what is conviction? Yeah. So again, I also said in our message that many of us are way more American than we are Christian. And so here, here is the problem with modern Christian books, modern Christian talks, you know, I mean, basically anything on Oprah's show, don't listen <laughs> because, because what Oprah is promoting is American spirituality which leads to hell. That's the reality. And so Mm. every author that comes on her show with almost without exception would say guilt and shame are bad. That's okay. We need to feel those things when we need to feel them. Mm -hmm. So the issue is not, we should never feel shame or guilt. The issue is there are some things that we do that we need to feel shame and guilt for. So here's the beauty. And this is what John is saying. Yeah, there's some things that I feel guilty for. And so I need to feel guilty for them unless I've confessed them, I've repented of them, and I have brought them to God and to someone else. Once I've done that, I no longer feel guilty because God is greater than my feelings. So the residual effects of my sin still may be lingering in my heart, but God has forgiven me. And let me just say this to Christians. There were some things that I carried in my life for 10 years some of the things that I did in college. And I went to counseling uh, when I had my emotional, mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it, my mid thirties. I, I went to a counselor and I, I, I like that guy. I said, do I need to go to back to every person and, and confess all these things? And he's like, did you confess to God? I said, yes. He said, have you confessed to others? I said, yes. And he says, no, you're mm-hmm. done. So my feelings of guilt, and this is what religion does. Religion uh, will never set us free from guilt. So I need to feel guilt temporarily. If I do something wrong, that's conviction. But here's the thing is, conviction is alleviated by confession. Okay? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'll say it again. Conviction is alleviated by confession. Hmm. So once I've confessed, if I still feel guilty, it's demonic. Wow. It's of the devil. So hmm. guilt prior to uh, confession is conviction. 
right? So God's not gonna let me go until I confess it. He's gonna continue to convict me. I feel convicted in my own sermons. It's weird, man. Dude, in the middle of words coming out what's of my mouth, like? yeah, yeah the Holy like? Spirit is like, that's a good sermon. Someone should live that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> boom. So I, I need to confess that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, a couple of months ago, uh, my wife asked me if I looked at something on the internet and I said, no, totally lied to her. It was my instant reaction. She's like, okay, she went to sleep all night long. I could not sleep all night long because I felt guilt. Why? I was guilty. I was guilty. I should have felt like crap all night long. And if you don't feel guilty for sin, one of two things, you know, you're not a Christian um, or, or you're so far from God, man, you have seared mm. the Spirit's influence in your life. Yeah. Mm. And so, um, you know, people who don't feel guilty don't know God. And so we, we need to, so guilt is, for the Christian is conviction. And so God convicts me, I need to stop doing this. I need to change this. And I need to repent of this. And on the other side of confession, if there's still guilt, it's demonic. And we need to release that. And so here's how the devil worked in my life is God can forgive everyone else, but I know better. Mm. And so for me, I, I just really struggled with it and I could not release myself from that. And the spirit of unforgiveness, if you want to talk about two things that are demonic, right? The spirit of unforgiveness um, and sexual sin gives the enemy unique pathways into our lives, right? Mm. And so that's why the Bible constantly speaks against that. So, so sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And so here's the question, if God forgave you, why can't you? Are you are you more righteous than God? Are you more holy than God? Mm. And you got to forgive yourself. So, um, I, I think that's huge. Con- the Holy Spirit convicts us, but then after we confess, He releases us. Mm. So I think that's such a great clarification too, because you talked at the beginning about how like religion is really what like can also produce guilt. That like it's not about when you feel guilty. It doesn't mean like go to church more, like get your like do all these things. Like really, the only thing to solve guilt is confession. Yes. Amen. Um, and, and that's what religion uses, right? You, you, you got to give more money. You've got to attend more. You've got to serve more. And so we guilt people into serving and that is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't call for money. I don't guilt people into giving. I don't guilt people into serving. I don't guilt people into doing anything. I think you should do these things because you want to. Yeah. Because, you, you know, and, and that's when, when I discipline my kids. The biggest issue for me is the heart. It's not the behavior. Mm. It's not what you did. It's why did you do that? Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly dealing with the heart. And so, you know, this is a parenting tip. Deal with your kids' hearts, not their behavior. What on earth motivated you to do this? Because um, children will curb their behavior and not change their heart. And that's a problem long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, got, you've got to deal with heart issues. So, um, and, and I know that in my own life, you know, is I have, I have to check my heart. And um, so, yeah. yeah. So guilt's not always a bad thing. So, yeah. And part of this is, you know, the world doesn't want you to feel guilty. It's because they don't want you to feel God. That's why. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. The guilt being always associated with a negative emotion mm-hmm. can also make us want to run away from something that could be very good in driving us to Jesus. Yeah. I think, I can't remember where it is, but it talks about the kindness of God mm-hmm. leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's a that seems like a positive, right, emotion. But when everything gets kind of boiled down to how what I, what it feels like, you can move away from something that you need to be moving, you know, uh, toward someone. Yeah, and part of confession is feeling the weight of your sin. Mm-hmm. So like when I had to look my wife in the face and say, I lied to you last night, and I saw that hurt, I felt that all night long. Like that's one small sin. That's the weight of one small sin. Yeah, And I need to feel that. And so 
Um, you know, that's why, you know, when someone does confess to us, we shouldn't minimize their confession. We need to let them feel mm. the weight of their sin. And this is why we need to confess one to another because we don't have to look God in the face, but we do look each other in the face. Wow. And, um, and it's, it's embarrassing. And man, I've had to do it and I will do it again. And I tell you, it, it serves as quite a deterrent for <laughs> sin when you realize, okay, if I do this, not only am I going to sin, but I'm going to have I'm going to have to seek repentance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look somebody in the face and say I mm. did this. Um, and um, you know, we just we just need to be really, really, really good at confession. So it's awesome. Uh, this one comes in from Stephanie Keen, uh, formerly Keen, now Schaefer, <laughs> and myself. Actually, we loved that you used the opening line of the Westminster Catechism in your sermon this weekend, which says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In a practical sense, how do we go about enjoying God? Yeah, and, 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 and the number one way by that is enjoying what he enjoys, which is righteousness. And so when you look at Philippians chapter one, verses three through 11, he talks about that their lives should constantly glorify God, that they should learn and know what is right and true. Mm. So we've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us and, and guide us. And, and we need to constantly be attentive because he's always speaking. He's always telling us, um, you know, something. And, um, you know, in, in every way, he's telling us what's right and what's wrong. And, um, you know, I had a situation last week where the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I did not listen and the consequences were catastrophic. Mm. Um, I had a situation where I was in a hurry and um, I, I, told, I saw two young girls walk by the front of my house and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, something's not right. Um, and I, I didn't know this, but um, uh, they were going to meet a young man on Facebook who they believed to be a teenager. And this young man mm. was not a teenager. He was a grown man. Mm. And um, I didn't say anything. And, uh, and, and one of the girls was really, really hurt. It hasn't gotten a lot of press. I don't know why, but I've had to talk to the police. The news media has come to my house. I've refused to talk to the news media because I just, you know, right. I don't want to, I'm not Yoda, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I I just, I had a sense. I just had this sense. And so, so, so part of the way, and gosh, that was really a negative way to talk about joy, but, but that, you know, that, and and what I've learned is I've got to listen to that. When God is speaking to me, man, I got to stop everything and I got to say, okay, I, I need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. And so mm-hmm. one of the ways is, man, we just listen to God and we do what God does because there's joy in serving God. There's mm-hmm. joy in, um, you know, following him, trusting him and listening to him. And Paul says, right, um, the beauty of the first 11 chapters of Philippians is that we can know God personally. Like we can know him because God will live in us mm-hmm. and God is moving in us and, um that's what motivates Paul. That's what gives him joy. Yeah. It's being with God, being one with God brings joy because that's the intimacy ultimately that we were designed for was oneness with God. Now here's the challenge. We're not good in relationship with ourselves. We're horrible in relationships with each other. And we, so so now we're trying to have a relationship with a God we can't see, touch and feel all the time. Mm-hmm. So we need to grow in relationship and learn to listen to him. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey guys, God, God's, God's going to get you. He's, he's going to, in a good way, he's going to minister to you. So I think that there is joy in doing things that please God. Mm. And so that's what Paul is talking about. So the way we enjoy God is by doing good things. It's why the girl at LA Fitness said she loved serving the three-year-olds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
right? She would not have had the same joy in babysitting, you know, eight or nine, three-year-olds. So what was the joy that she found? How did she enjoy God? She enjoyed God by serving him. God was pleased with her service. And so in that, she experienced joy. Mm -hmm. So God blesses his children when they do good things. Yeah. And, and, and that's with emotions, that's with a spiritual satisfaction, that, that, that is with a renewed joy that's deep within. And mm-hmm. so that, that's what happens. So, so I think we enjoy God now by serving him. So find a place that, that where you serve God and it makes you feel better. Do that. It's a, it's a great, great thing. And so, um, man, I love that. I love loving on God's people. I love serving God's people. That brings me joy. Um, I absolutely love it. So, yeah. yeah. And I think similar to what you were saying in last week's episode about how like embracing the struggle, embracing things that are hard, like, and even doing that, like when God's asking you to do something that feels uncomfortable, knowing that like enjoying him could be stepping into what that uncomfortable thing is and seeing mm. what the blessing is on the other side. Mm. That's good. So. I've even felt that in, in my life, this, you know, I, I want to read, I want to pray, I want to serve the church and maybe I don't enjoy that naturally mm. or automatically. And, and fighting that, maybe some of our listeners even fight that like, well, what if I don't love those things already? Mm-hmm. What if I don't feel joyful? Mm-hmm. And I just began to ask the Lord to change my heart. Mm-hmm. Help me to love the things that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe those that are wrestling with that, struggling with that right now, where I don't want to do these things. They don't, they don't seem to fill me up like, you know, other activities do. Mm-hmm. I can just begin to ask God, change my heart, make mm-hmm. me love the things you love. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, our last question uh, comes from the verse that you actually encouraged us to memorize from your sermon this week. And it says that I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until this finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What exactly does Paul mean when he says a good work? Like what is that work that God is beginning in us and planning to complete in us? Yeah, so so the work is three processes. So it's, um, you know, it's justification, it's sanctification and glorification. And those are three really, really big words that describe the components of salvation. So when we are saved, God justifies us. We have been declared righteous in the eyes of God. So we're saved. So I am legally declared righteous. So I'm legally declared innocent. Now, I don't feel innocent and many of us don't live innocent lives. So we, you know, so we still sin, right? Even after we become a Christian. So God begins to sanctify us. And so that means he's transforming us into saints. So he has, he has declared us to be saints. That's holy, perfect, good. Mm. Now he's changing us into holy, perfect, and good people. He's doing that work. So he begins the work and then glorification is he will finish the work. So here's how I memorized it. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So ultimately, when is the work finished? It's on the day of Christ Jesus. So I will be fully transformed. So for all of you who are frustrated with your lack of progress in your walk, know this, that he who began the work in you is gonna finish it on the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. So on the day of judgment for Christians, although there is an accounting for our life before God, there's also gonna be a perfection of our life before God. So we're gonna be held accountable for you know what we did, didn't do, whatever. And God's gonna work through that process, but ultimately he's going to ultimately glorify us on the day of Christ Jesus. And we don't have to be ashamed of God on that day, mm. um, which is why John writes this, that we don't need to be afraid uh, because perfect love casts out all fear. So we know we're gonna survive the day of judgment because of God's love in us. We are going to be glorified. Um, so a Christian would say this, I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. Mm. So that is the process of what is happening here. Mm. Um, Because remember, you know, God doesn't exist in time. He created time so we could exist, 
right? Um, yeah, I said true. that a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, so time is something that is is our reality. It's not God's reality. So that's why this once declared process that exists outside of time, we are experiencing in time. I am being saved. I will be saved. Uh, I am saved. So, so that's happening. And so, so that's why we can be excited and we can discover joy. Mm-hmm. So even though my, my world, right, is spinning out of control, my finances, my marriage, my relationships, my friendships, and then how that affects me on the inside, my heart, my feelings, my emotions, my depression, my discouragement, even though both of those things don't feel like great all the time, mm-hmm. here's the good news, that what God began in my soul the work of salvation in my soul. Remember, so my my uh, my body's going to die and my feelings are, are going to change, but ultimately my soul is gonna live forever. So what God began in my soul, he is going to carry that on to completion. And so I can rejoice in the fact of even if I have cancer, even if I've lost my job, even if I'm going through a divorce, even if I have a child that's dying, right? The worst suffering in the world, I know that he who began this work in me is gonna carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So. God is in control, even though my life is out of control. And if I can memorize that verse, and this is why people say, I can't memorize scripture. This is why you need to memorize this. Because when I'm going through difficult things, this verse comes back to memory and I must anchor my life, not on my feelings, but on my faith. Mm -hmm. And so my faith is rooted in Philippians 1.6 that says, God is going to get me through it. So so Philippians 1.6 is the anchor verse. And then 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, are some steps as to how that's gonna happen, right? God's gonna help me to know him. God's gonna teach me to what to love, how to care for each other. I mean, God's gonna bless me with all of these things. And remember, Paul's writing this from prison. He's incarcerated, he's on death row, and he's rejoicing. And again, I say rejoice. And so we have to rejoice, we have to trust in God, because if, if we're honest, our faith often is affected by external things and internal feelings. It's not our faith. People will say, well, I'm, I'm wavering in my faith. It's, it's not their faith that's changed. It's their feelings that have changed or it's their external reality that's changed. Mm-hmm. So those two things are changing constantly, which is why James says that an unstable man is unstable in everything. A double-minded man, excuse me, is yeah. unstable in everything he does, right? That's James chapter one. So he begins with, if I'm not rooted in my faith, man, what's happening in the world around me it's it's really, really disheartening. And I mean, this is really, really unstable times. You know, what's happening in the media, just a constant frenzy. I mean, everything is out of control. And part of that is we live in a world where the news media cycle is driven by, uh, you know, the sensational. If it's not the worst storm ever, if it's not the worst crash ever, mm-hmm. if it's not the worst thing ever, then guess what we're gonna do? We're not gonna watch. Mm-hmm. Right. So the news media makes a living off making us feel unstable. Because if we don't feel unstable, we're not going to tune in. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, right. And then that affects how we feel on the inside. So that's why I need to tune into God. Because if I'm tuned into God, I'm going to feel stable no matter what's happening around me or what I'm feeling inside of me. And so God is an anchor for both storms, external and internal. And that's why I, I think it's so important that we're honest with that in community group. Mm-hmm. A lot of us focus on what's happening around me Maybe if we're a deeper group, we talk about what's going on inside of me, right? Which is, is a deeper level of intimacy. But what we need to say is, what is God doing through me? Mm. In the midst of the storm outside and in, what's happening? And, um, you know, um, I, I see this in my own life. I see it in my married life. I see it in my kid's life. I see how they're attacked external and internally. 
and we need to deal with what's going on, you know, with God. Where's God? And so please, please, please memorize that verse. He who began a good work in you. So salvation begins and ends with God. God started it in you. God will continue it in you and God will finish it in you. And um, we, we just need to trust that. We, we, need, we, need to, we need to accept that, that God is in this process, that God is going to mm-hmm. get me through this and I can trust him uh, you know, in this process. And Paul takes great, great uh, joy in knowing that, 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 hey man, God's in this. And so I think as a leader, if Paul felt like he had to be there, he would be very, very freaked out. Mm-hmm. But God's gonna be there for them. And God started the church at Philippi. And God's gonna finish the church yeah. at Philippi. And so there's a lot of nuances that I, we're gonna get into as we study this you know, each week. But there's beautiful things that the casual reader is gonna miss at how Paul is reassuring them about how um, faith in God is gonna get them through this tumultuous mm-hmm. moment. Um, so, because one of the big problems facing the Philippian church is they are patriots of the Roman empire. So the church is made up of ex-soldiers and Paul is imprisoned by the Roman empire. Mm. So he's being tried as a traitor and the Philippian church is a bunch of faithful, think about military persons. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Paul's gonna talk about that. Yeah. And it, it, it's pretty profound as he, he relates to them and he loves them and he has a special affection for them. He has a relationship. And I talked about this week, you know, I say, I love you guys. Uh, for those of you, our listeners who attend Sandals Church, uh, you know, I love Sandals Church and I've grown to love Sandals Church. There's a, especially the people who've been at Sandals for all these years that have grown through all the changes, have, have gone through all the heartache, all the difficulties. We have 20 years together. You know, I've been married uh, for 21 years and, and I've been married to Sandals Church for 20 years. I mean, those are the two most significant women in my life, right? My wife and, and, and my and church. church. Yeah. And, and, and I just have such a special affection for our church. I just love our church so much. And Paul has that for Philippians. And, um, and we need that deep, deep relationships. And so guys, get off the internet and get in the word. I, I just mm-hmm. want to encourage you to do that, mm-hmm. man. The, the internet is going to make you feel unstable. It's going to make you feel emotional. It's going to make you feel unloved. The scriptures are going to make you feel just the opposite, mm-hmm. stable and loved. God is here, right? God is not going anywhere. Uh, right now I'm in the book of Psalms. And if you don't know, Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. And it's somewhat of a daunting task, mm-hmm. right? To think, okay, I'm gonna be in Psalms for like the next month. But Psalms one begins with, blessed is the man who meditates on the law. He is like a tree firmly planted and, and, and literally blooms in all seasons. Mm-hmm. Whether there's a drought or not, if you're attached to this stream, you're gonna survive. Mm-hmm. And so part of the problem is a lot of us who call ourselves Christians are not attached to this stream. And so when there's a drought, we, we feel like we're gonna lose everything mm-hmm. and we've got to be firmly planted in who God is. And there's just peace there. There, there is peace in being a deeply, deeply spiritual person rooted in Christ, rooted in Christ. And so my prayer for all you guys is that you would do that. Um. All right. Well, that was a great episode, guys. Thank so you so good. much for sending in those questions. Pastor Matt, thank you for just dropping the PMB boatloads of wisdom on us there, especially at the end. Uh, if you ocean, guys want to get <laughs> ocean liners worth oh, boatloads, use yes, that. that was it was, nice. it just a large, a large vessel. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of wisdom. Lots of wisdom. So if you want to look at the show notes, including a lot of those resources that Pastor Matt has mentioned in this episode, check out debrief.show slash 65. We'll also have the link to this episode on YouTube where you can check it out. And you can also follow us on Debrief Show at, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Just look for Debrief Show on there. You'll find us. You can find great quotes from this episode, pictures of the crew, um, all kinds of things that you can share with your friends to get more and more folks listening to the Debrief. Yeah, please check out on YouTube because then you can see Stephanie Schaefer's beautiful face, Pastor Matt's magnificent beard, and my 
Tall, uh, tall self. <laughs> just tall self. Just average self here. <laughs> yeah, we would love to have you check us out there on YouTube. That is starting to grow more and more. We've got a great studio here. You can also see our... Uh, marketing lead over there, Elena, who is grabbing lots of those great quotes. Hey-oh. So, yep, the Italian here. stallion. <laughs> Elena dropped a bit of good news today uh, that the male version of the romper is now available to the world. Oh, great! She brought that news to us. I don't know what yeah. that is. She brings us many great things. Uh, comparable so. to what? Almost a romper. So it's like a jumper, but it's like shorts and it's con- and like overalls, but like for men. Yeah, crisscross invented that. Sure. The rap group, Crisscross. Yeah. yeah. Crisscross well, Applesauce. So, yeah. all right. And if you would like to support Sandals Church and the debrief, we would love that. You can text Give Debrief to 951 4120 Even a dollar an episode it makes a huge difference mm. and helps us do some great things here on the show. So, we would love it if you would consider giving to Sandals Church and the debrief, especially if you don't attend Sandals Church regularly. That is a great way to give specifically to our show. We would love that. So, but before we go, we're going to hop in and we're going to learn some Christianese. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. Mm. All right, Never pass. gets old, does it? I love it. <laughs> uh, especially if you watch us on YouTube, you can see a really sweet video that we made specifically for Learning Christian news that a lot of people probably don't oh, even know yeah. exists. Yeah, so, so check us out on YouTube, watch our cool videos, out. guys. All right, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say salt of the earth? What on yeah. earth is that? <laughs> That's funny. Or spread some salt. Yeah, That's yeah, funny. no, it, mean, it means they're a really good person. Oh. That's a really confusing way of saying something really nice. Yeah. <laughs> salt of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Now it means, yeah. So Jesus uses the term salt as something that's good and preserves. Hey. So as a preservative in meat. And so, um, you know, that's why he says, what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? So they would put, you know, they didn't have refrigeration 2000 years ago. So you would rub salt on the meat to act as a preservative as you took it home before you cooked it. And so... Uh, if a person's a salt of the earth, they're, they're a preservative. They're making, they're, it's interesting now we use the word preservative as a bad thing, yeah. but uh, a preservative was a very, very good thing in the day and age of Jesus Christ. So that person that's a salt of the earth, it means they're just, they're just morally excellent. Mm. Hmm. Well, that's all good. right, good for them. 